Last week, um, the NFL did something pretty crazy for Wild Card Weekend on a game between the New Orleans Saints and the Chicago Bears. CBS decided to do something a little bit different. They decided to carry the game on one of their sister networks, Nickelodeon. So I don't know if you guys caught this or not, but they decided to show the game at the same time. Uh, but the broadcast was geared for a different audience, children and young adults. And so they superimposed hamburgers and googly eyes. And uh, my favorite was when someone scored a touchdown. They had a graphic of slime being poured all over the players. And it was just a, a free-for-all. And yes, SpongeBob SquarePants was there between the goalposts to jeer the kickers as they lined up for extra points and field goals. And so it was, they also brought in some young broadcasters, not only to call the game, but to teach the game to their younger audience. Well, guess who hated it? Football purist. And so if anyone tuned over there, like, oh, this is crazy. This is destroying the game. And, but what was pretty interesting is it was the most watched show on Nickelodeon in over four years. And more importantly, 2.6 million new viewers tuned in to learn about football. So I just want to remind us as a congregation, we have something more to broadcast and more to share than, than NFL. We have the message of Jesus Christ. And we've got to be looking for new audiences. And I, I want to praise our shepherds for the latitude that they give to our children's and youth ministry because we want our kids to get the Jesus message, don't we? That's what the book of Hebrews is all about. And so as we begin this new series last week on Journey of Faith, we, we talked about the unknown Hebrew writer had a message. He was trying to encourage believers. Some of them had been believers for a while. And they personally hadn't met Jesus, but they'd heard from those that had. And they had accepted the gospel message, and, and they're trying to live for Jesus, but now they're going through trials and hardships, most likely in and around Rome. And it's becoming difficult. And so if you can imagine, their life is almost like they're being squeezed in a vice. So one side of the vice is their family and friends that remained in Judaism. And they wonder, why would you go after this Jesus character? Why can't you live into the faith like you were taught growing up? And so they've written them off as Jesus cult people, and they've said, you're dead to me. Well, then on the other side, they've got Rome that sees Christians and Christianity as a threat, a threat that needs to be snuffed out and nipped in the bud right now. And so they're cranking up and, and bringing pressure on these believers, and they're caught, and, and they feel pressured, and, and they're wondering, how much longer can we endure? How much more can we suffer? I mean, we're publicly being ridiculed, we're being persecuted, our property is being confiscated, and now we've got friends and family and folks, fellow believers that are losing their life in the arena. How can we go on much longer? Well, instead of toughing it out, there were some apparently that had another solution. They're like, okay, this is really difficult being a Christ follower. What if we took one step back into Judaism? I mean, our, our faith walk is two steps forward, one step back. Can we, for a time period, just take a step back a little bit? A, a little bit away from this Jesus and the gospel message that, that we received. 
and things will immediately get better in our life, won't they? Number one, we get to go home for Thanksgiving, and that's a big plus. We get to go back and reconcile and have fellowship with our old friends and, and our family because we're walking just a little bit back from Jesus. And certainly, man, our, our kids and us are no longer going to be targets of Rome if we can just take a step back. And the Hebrew writer says, no, absolutely not. Do you not remember the gospel message you received? Do you realize if you go back into Judaism, you're turning your back on Jesus Christ? You're doing this. You've got to persevere. Do not abandon your faith. And instead, let's go back to the gospel basics. Let's go back and let me describe who Jesus Christ is. And I'll tell you, he's better than whatever you've put as a blank. Whatever you put in that blank, Jesus is better. Thirteen times the Hebrew writer says, Jesus is better than this. He's better than this. He's better than this. So last week, what was it? Well, it was the prophets. And they're like, well, you know, we kind of grew up and we read in the Old Testament that the prophets were, were pretty awesome. And they had some neat things to say. Well, and if Jesus is just another one of those prophets. Can we just kind of downplay him a little bit? Well, maybe we'll work him in a sermon series a couple years from now, but let's go back and hit some of these others. And we're just kind of kind of emphasize, maybe do a prolonged study of Isaiah. Maybe go back and read the story of Huldah. Let's go back and, and do some of these, uh, the prophets. Well, God says, no, I spoke through the prophets, but in these last days, I speak in son. He's my son. It's a different being. It's a whole different animal. And so this is my nature you're hearing from, not me through prophets, which are common people that I've gifted to speak to you. It's different. And so you can't compare these. So they said, okay, so Jesus came down from God? Yeah, well, what about other celestial beings? I mean, didn't the angels also come down from God? Because I read in, in my Bible that the angels did some pretty cool stuff and had some very important messages. And let's just say they were powerful. You think Jesus... What about the angels? You know, we read in Joshua chapter 5 that Joshua is leading the people across the Jordan. They're about to go take the promised land. First on the agenda, knock out Jericho. And so they're preparing the people, getting them all ready. And so Joshua gets up, commander of the army. He's ready to go. I'm going to do one final walkthrough before we start on this thing. So he goes walking towards Jericho, and he encounters an angel on the road who's waving a sword. Joshua says, oh, hang on, big fella. Are, are you with me or are you with them? He said, neither. I'm the commander of the army of hosts. God's about to go to battle. Okay, all right. How about we get in behind you instead of asking you to get in line with yeah, that'd be a good plan because God's already got this thing figured out and I'm leading the charge. What about the story in 2 Samuel chapter 24? 
God had asked Daniel from time to time, Daniel, David from time to time to do census and count the, the fighting men. But one time, David was just curious. And he sends out his commanders. He goes, go through all throughout the land, through all the 12 tribes, and let's figure out how many guys that if we ring the bell and blow the horn, we'll show up for battle. His commander's like, oh, I don't think God asked us to do what I told you to. All right, very well. And so for nine months, they go through each village. And, and, and I start counting up. They come back for nine months, about 800,000. David's like, oh, that's awesome. God says, I didn't ask you to do that. You're going to have to go through a punishment. Do you want three years of famine? Do you want three months of your enemies coming in and running roughshod over you? Or do you want three days of dealing with me and the consequences? I got to thinking, oh, what choice would you make? You want three years of COVID? You want three months of the Canadians coming? No, they're, they're not really scary. But you know, so, someone real scary coming in for three months and running for your life? Or three days with the Lord upset with you? David says, I choose C. Not because I have the best chance of getting it right, but because I want to make sure that there's mercy involved in this. And so what happens with this angel? The angel goes from town to town and village to village. In a celestial moment, 70,000 men are wiped out. And then read this in verse 16. When the angel stretched out his hands towards Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord relented from the calamity and said to the angel who destroyed the people, Ho, 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 hang on, whoa, it's enough. Ease up, relax your hand. That's how powerful the angels were. Hebrew people are like, now we got this Jewish carpenter's son who lost his life on the cross and you want to say that he is better than the angels hebrew writer says absolutely absolutely Here, here's what he says hebrews chapter 1 and verse 5 for to which of the angels did god ever say you are my son. Today I have become your father. Or again, I'll be his father. He'll be my son. This is a quote that David had written in, in Psalms chapter 2, which is a coronation psalm. As a king comes to glory, is about to reign, this is the son taking on the throne. And, and so what Hebrew writer is saying is you've got to realize the son is higher than all the celestial beings because he's not created. He is the essence of God. He is the Son. You know, it's amazing to me how folks are preoccupied with angels in our culture, right? All the television shows, different things that we see. It, it's amazing to me because the angels are preoccupied with Jesus. They are. That's the focus. Verse 6, as the Lord said, let all of God's angels worship Him, worship the Son. Still need convincing that Jesus is higher than the angels? What about Luke chapter 1? You've got poor Zacharias the priest, and he walks into the temple to do his duty. And all of a sudden, when he comes in, there's a large glowing figure. 
he immediately falls to the ground. He's scared to death. And he's like, oh, what's about to happen? He's like, don't fear. Don't fear. Here's what's about to happen. Your wife is going to have a child, and he will be the forerunner for the Messiah. So Zacharias is like, okay, I got to go tell my wife who's well past years that this is going to happen. Who can I say told me this is going to happen? How do I know this is going to take place? How can I be sure? The angel reveals his identity. He says, I'm Gabriel. Really? The Gabriel? Yes, I'm the Gabriel. And I stand in the presence of God. Why do angels stand? They're there to serve at the drop of a hat. Whatever you need, Lord, I'm here. I'm your attendant. I'm ready to go to serve. He's ready to serve in any way that needed to happen. So no angel ever sits, like the priest we talked about last week, that never got to have a chair in the temple because they're always doing something. They're offering sacrifices that never go away. God sits, but the angels stand in God's presence. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 13 says, To which of the angels did God ever say, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? So, here's what he said. So you got to realize what's going on here is that you only have two people sitting. And that's God the Father and Jesus the Son in the presence of the angels. The angels are standing. Jesus is sitting. He is the focus of their worship. They're ready to serve him and do his bidding. Whatever comes, what may. In verse 14, are not all the angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Church, here's the cool part. Maybe you didn't know this. It's not just Jesus and God that will be sitting and being served by the angels. We get to join in that as well. The angels will be serving us. Why? Because we've been grafted in. Jesus is our brother. He says, I'm not ashamed of those I came to die for that have named me as Lord. I'm going to proclaim their names until all the audience of us. That is what we're leaning into. That's what we're living into by worshiping Jesus Christ and making him preeminent over everything. That's what we have. Reading between the lines, those that were suggesting a retreat from Christianity pointed out, um, that may be so, but all I know is when we hear the story about what was happening with Jesus, um, the angels were up here and Jesus was down here on the earth. Explain that. If you think that's not the hierarchy, why is the Jesus story, he's down here, they're up there. I, I know he could have called 10,000 angels, but he didn't. Jesus is down here, they're up there. What's going on? Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 5 through 9 says this, Is it not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we're speaking? But there is a place 
where someone has testified. What is mankind that you're mindful of them? The son of man that you care for him. You made them, Jesus and us, a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is subject to them. Yet at the present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. So it's a huge dip is the direction of Jesus' life. He was above the angels. See, the right hand of God comes down to be with us and returns to glory. Why did he have to come down? Why is this such a big deal that we understand this? Why do we need to embrace that our Savior came to earth? What was God's plan? Let me give you three reasons why God chose this plan to save you and I and to bring about the reconciliation that was broken in the garden with the sin of Adam. Number one, Jesus held supreme value. He's God's son. He's God's essence. He is an eternal being. He's uniquely qualified to become an eternal sacrifice once and for all. We talked about this last week, that no longer was the sacrifice needed. The priest's job was done because he's the great high priest, and he's the great sacrifice all in one, because he held the value as eternal being to atone for our sins. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10 says this, in bringing many sons and daughters that's you and I, in bringing me sons and daughters to glory. It was fitting that God, for whom through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation, our salvation, perfect through what he suffered. Remember the whole story of Moses, God's people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their descendants, big horde, during the famine, they go down to Egypt, and there arose a Pharaoh that knew not. Starts with J, ends with Osef. Joseph, yeah, okay. Joseph, hey, Joseph. Uh, so they didn't know him anymore, didn't realize that God, he was a big deal to Pharaoh at one time. And so this new Pharaoh thinks they're a threat. He enslaves them for how long? 400 years. They're there. They're crying up to God. God says, okay, it's time. It's time to redeem my people. It's time to bring them back to the land. I promise their forefathers. We made a covenant between me and Abraham. We walked through it together. We're sealed with blood. We're ready to go. And so he calls Moses. Moses, I don't know. Okay, take Aaron. Okay. So they, they go, and, and they start going through the plagues. You remember the variety, the frogs and you know, hail and, and all those different things, blood. So they get to the final one which is death of the firstborn. In the night that the death angel came to extend God's wrath for the sin, the Israelites were ever bit as sinful as the Egyptians on that evening. And God could have chosen to take them as long as well as he was taking the Egyptians. Why didn't he? He 
offered up a substitution, the lamb. The lamb that was slaughtered. Remember the blood that they put you know, over the, the doorposts and the frames and the whole bit? So that it would pass over. Death would pass over. It would no longer have that sting. And they woke up the next morning. The Egyptians are crying. The Israelites are like, okay, let's count noses. We're all here. Good. Thank you, Lord. And the Egyptians just go. Get out. Well, how are we going to finance this? here. Take, take my jewelry. Just, just go. And so God provide this sacrifice for his people. And God says, that's a precursor to what I'm doing now. My lamb, the lamb of God, Jesus Christ, provides the same function for you and I. The wrath of God that should be pointed our direction is now brought upon Jesus because he is uniquely qualified to be this eternal sacrifice. He held this supreme value. Number two, Jesus held shared humanity. Jesus held shared humanity. Though we had the same nature of God, here's the problem. You can't kill an eternal being. So Jesus had to take a step back from equality with God. He said, that's not something I'm trying to grasp. I'm willing to become in the form of a man. And in fact, to become a servant, a slave of all, so that I can be this sacrifice to bring them back to the Father. So that's what took place. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 says this, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death as the devil. And to free those, amen, free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Verse 17, for this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement. Uh, other translations do a better job of this than the NIV. The word there is propitiation, which means you're absorbing what God had sending your direction. The wrath of God that comes from our sin and rebellion, God says, I can't have impurity in the holy presence. It's got to be wiped out. It's got to be destroyed. Jesus says, I understand that. Focus out on me. The atonement, the propitiation, absorb the wrath of God that we deserve for the sins of the people. So, on one hand, Jesus has his supreme value as the eternal being of the nature of God. He releases that to take on our nature, the same nature of God, but then he releases his nature of being an eternal being so that he could become mortal like you and I. What a huge step down. And, and so when Jesus takes on this human flesh, it brought with him all the stuff we deal with. Jesus got hungry. He was thirsty. He had lower back pain. 
He had struggles. He had temptations. He had everything that we go through as human beings. Jesus is like, me too. I'm with you. I don't get a free pass because I once was with my father. My father sent me to be like you so that I could walk through this life that you're doing. And yet he did not sin. Jesus felt the incredible pain of the crucifixion. Every last lash, every last thorn going in, every last nail, every last struggle on the cross that Robin talked about, he felt that as a full human being. He's full God, he's full human being all at the same time, but he felt that pain for you and I to absorb the wrath of God. He died, he was buried, and he rose again conquering death once and for all. And church, what does that give us? No longer can Satan hold that over our heads. Went to a funeral yesterday. I haven't had that much fun at a funeral in a long time. This sweet lady that is a dear friend of, of our family, she had uh, seven grandsons get up and tell stories and oh my, I, she wasn't even the grave, but she was rolling over with the stories they were telling. We were cracking up. How can you go to a funeral like that? Because Satan no longer hangs that over us, does he? It's done. Let me read that one more time. <laughs> no longer can Satan use the reality of death to hold us hostage in fear. You know, if you've ever tried to wire a house after the fact, you're putting in speakers or doing something different, it's hard. There's a reason why if you're building a house, always take the wiring package. Yeah, well, I don't know if I want to go and put it in now. Because, I mean, it, when I was in an apartment, I'd be stapling staple cords, you know, down on the ground. But the, the pros do something different. Um, they'll run it under carpet or they'll go up into the attic. And they use something called fish tape. And it's a, a real stiff um, uh, piece of tape, uh, this metal that they'll put under the carpet and they'll fish it through. And then on the other side, well, here it comes up. Sometimes they're coming in from the attic. They'll get a string with a heavy weight on the end and they'll drop it down through their wall. They'll open it up. And then once they've got the string in there or once they've got the fish tape through, they attach the wire and they pull it through. Church, do you not realize that's what Jesus has done for us? Jesus is like, you don't know what's underneath there. All I'm asking is, unite yourself with me. I'm going to pull you through from this world to the next. I think it's going to happen in a blink. It's just going to happen. It's going to happen so quick. And, and here's the thing. I think we dread death because it's sad. It brings about loss when we lose someone. I really think on the other side, we're going to go, why were we dreading? this right so we're uniting ourselves with jesus jesus is like i'll go first death burial resurrection change your life to look like mine that goes from here deny yourself live a new existence with me for eternity jesus is like i'm going first i'm one of you i've conquered death I'm gonna do it so we attach ourselves to jesus who takes us from this life to the next Jesus was fully human, without sin, 
uniquely qualified to not only be our high priest, but to be our sacrifice once and for all. Praise the Lord. Finally, Jesus holds supreme counsel. And Jesus holds supreme counsel. He alone is qualified to bear a wonderful counselor. In verse 18, it says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Let me just tell you, if you're struggling with, with something right now, um, or you've, you've found, you've, man, I gave in to temptation in this, who do we want to go and talk with? We want to go talk with others that have fallen into the same hole, don't we? That have fallen in the same trap. And, and we do this because, well, they'll understand what I'm going through. Yes, I understand that. But I think there's an alternative reason why we connect with people that have fallen into the same temptation. It somehow lessens our responsibility for that, doesn't it? We're like, okay, see, they fell into it too. So it's a pretty big temptation. It's pretty common. A lot of people are falling into the same temptation. You know, maybe everyone just needs to cut me a little bit of slack. So we want to find someone who's also fallen to talk about why we, we fell. And I think there's some benefit there. But don't we do this when we're students as well? You bring home your failing test grade, and instead of going, you know what, uh, maybe this whole cramming during lunch before fourth period didn't work. That, that's not what we say. What do we do? Well, mom and dad, like everyone else failed it too, right? And um, I, I just think the teacher didn't teach the material properly, and we want to point the finger any other way. What the Hebrew writer is saying is, your counselor ought to be the one that went through that exact gauntlet of temptation, came out on the other side and said, I did it, you can too. That's our wonderful counselor who has been through everything you can imagine and you've been through. And he says, I, you know, I did it without sin. Let me tell you about the disciplines in my life. Let me tell you about the focus and the mission I have for my Heavenly Father that kept my eyes up instead of going this and this. He's our wonderful counselor. Those are the things that we have, and that's the reason why Jesus is higher than everything else. These are the reasons why the Son of God came to become one of us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the beauty of your Son, who's excellent beyond every other person or thing, Lord, even including your mighty angels. Lord, we confess like the Hebrews. Lord, I, I, I don't want to confess this, but we do, that sometimes we have a hard time keeping Jesus as number one. And, and sometimes some good things like family and, and careers and opportunities those are good things, but they're not Jesus, but we allow them to take that place a first priority. And Lord, we confess things come unraveled if your son Jesus is not number one in our lives. Lord, if there's something in the hearts of any of us, whether that's another person, another thing, another aspiration, another goal, Lord, that is seeking to unseat the lordship of your son Jesus Get rid of it, Lord, or at least open our eyes and our hearts to realize that your son has got to take that number one spot in our lives. May we understand that everything other than him is a huge 
leap downward. Help us to restore Jesus to his rightful place. We ask this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Where are you on your journey of faith this morning? If Jesus is not the center of your life, if he's not number one, then the Hebrew writer says he's nothing. If you haven't accepted Jesus, now is the time. It's the perfect time. And if you're struggling to keep him there, the Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1, he's like, focus on the things you've heard the things that you bought into, the things that you know are first importance because it's so easy for us to drift. Don't drift away. Put your anchor on Jesus Christ. If we can help you this morning in any way, come now as we stand, as we sing.